Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. So a disappointing start for the Blue Jays, obviously, at 1-3, and three, losing game one of this four-game series against a Royals team that's not expecting to do much of anything this season. Could be worse, though. Could be 0-4, having given up 37 runs in four games. That's uh, what the Philadelphia Phillies have done coming off of their World Series appearance a season ago. Let's go to the city of brotherly love to talk to Philadelphia's favorite son, Frank Cervelli, president of hockey content for dailyfaceoff.com. A bit of a rough start for, for your Phillies. Yeah, I knew exactly where you were heading Obviously. with that. As soon as I heard you bring up the Jays. Yeah, it's, it's, it's horrific. It's, it's early, right? Like that's what you tell yourself if, if you're, you're a baseball fan, but man, yeah, that's, that's tough. You, you, you lose, uh, your first baseman for probably the season. Um, one of your star players isn't going to be back until the all-star game and, and Owen is a rough one. Not to like, I mean, you know, all those things and like, I don't know what the question mm-hmm. is, but it's just, again, Blue Jays fans are looking for reasons to feel better. And I guess it's schadenfreude. He, yeah. And here's, here's what I'm thinking about right now. I'm sitting here about to keep score for the first, my son's first baseball game of the season. The vibes are immaculate. It's 21 degrees here, uh, and uh, I'm excited. So that's what I'm choosing to think about at this exact moment in time when it comes to baseball. Well, here's what we can do to help fix the Phillies and get the Toronto Maple Leafs in a good spot heading into the playoffs. Uh, We're going to turn to Cambridge, Ontario for both. The Phillies can call up Noah Skiro, their AAA uh, pitching prospect who pitched for Canada in the World Baseball Classic, and the Leafs can go against Jet Greaves uh, tonight for the Columbus Blue Jackets. (laughs) Cambridge coming up everywhere, Frank. I I know you're not from Cambridge, but I am, and it's very odd to see uh, those kind of things uh, coming up regularly. Um, Columbus Blue Jackets tonight against the Leafs. Part of why I think Jet Greaves is getting this start, despite having subpar AHL numbers, uh, there's a real tank off to the bottom here these last couple weeks, yeah? Yeah, and look, the Blue Jackets have a lot to contend with when it comes to the Chicago Blackhawks, who have been far and away the worst team in the league since the trade deadline, and kind of rightfully so in the sense that the way they've managed this tank job, so to speak, has been in a real honest way. They just don't have the goods. They don't have the horses after those guys have been traded away. So the Blackhawks, it's been a race to the bottom. It's like throwing a weight in a, in a swimming pool. Um, and, and you think about the Blackhawks and their race to the bottom. They also have a chance to play spoiler. So I think tonight's NHL slate has been the juiciest that I can remember. You've got the Blackhawks and Flames. Flames absolutely need that game before then heading to Winnipeg on Wednesday night. You've got the Kings and Oilers in a, in a first round preview, also a rematch of last year's first round. And, you know, you've got other teams like the Leafs that are now trying to figure out their game as uh, you know, they try and get a lineup and some chemistry set can't really do that until Ryan O'Reilly comes back and he's knocking on the door, but not quite yet. Yeah, I thought today might be the day, but uh, maybe it's Thursday. Um, Matt Murray, I don't know when we're going to see him again. There was an update from Sheldon Keefe today that it is indeed a head injury, which leads you down the path of of concussion and a guy that has concussion issues. Like the idea that we might not see Matt Murray again during the regular season, not out of the realm of possibility. And Frank, Frank, frankly, despite the fact that he is under contract for next season, like is is there a distinct possibility we've seen the last of Matt Murray as a Toronto Maple Leaf? I think it's entirely possible. And like, I don't mean to sound jovial when I say that. And I don't mean to sound harsh when I say this next bit, which is I think Matt Murray missing, you know, the next chunk of time is in some ways a blessing in disguise for the Leafs. 
And you might say, well, how is that possible? For me, it's you let Ilya Samsonov know he's the guy. You allow him to take the ball and run with it. He doesn't have to look over his shoulder. He doesn't have to wonder who's starting. And for a guy that's been way more consistent this season, I, you know, and you look at Murray's play over the last bit, for me, that's the big boon is, you know, Samsonov has been the guy. And as much as it feels like the Leafs wanted to get Matt Murray right, and you may ultimately need to call on him, and he has the pedigree and all those different things that make him an intriguing guy, his inability to stay upright stands out, and then his lack of consistency in net, or you could even make the argument, has been consistently below average this season, then I think it just takes one big worry off the Leafs' hands. And I'm so curious to see Joe Wall. Like, to me, when you look at his numbers, small sample size, of course, at the NHL level, but the way Murray's played, you'd have a hard time arguing with me that Joe Wall is not the better option for the Leafs in net if push came to shove with him and Matt Murray. And that's what I wanted to ask you next because there is obviously more that goes into that decision than just who the better goalie might be if called upon. Certainly numbers-wise, Joe Walsh had a better NHL experience this year. Matt Murray has not been in the AHL, but it's almost impossible to put up a better save percentage than Joe Walsh put up uh, with the Marlies this year. And yeah, this is year four of uh, Matt Murray being at 906 or lower on the save percentage docket. So um, what would have to happen? Like, let's say Matt Murray is functionally healthy by game one of the playoffs. Is there a scenario where the Leafs actually go through with Joe Wall being the backup that dresses instead of Matt Murray, or is there just too much non-performance base that goes into that decision, um, whether it's experience in the moment or the fact that he still has another year under contract? Like, how realistic is that conversation to have? Ooh, it's, I don't think it's far off. Like, I, it's, is it a realistic possibility? Yes, with how well Joe Wall has played. Um, does the experience matter? Should it matter? Should it just be based on numbers? Should it be based on, you know, eventual organizational pecking order? Because it seems like that's what's coming next, um, next year. Uh, It's a hard one to answer because it is such a hypothetical. Are we even certain that, you know, 13 days time from now, whenever they drop the puck on round one, game one for the Leafs, will Matt Murray even be there? Mm. That's the big question. And, You know, even when you look at the two Stanley Cups that Matt Murray won, the truth is, yeah, he was in net for the critical moment. But the truth is, Marc-Andre Fleury did most of the lifting to get them there both years. Yeah. Or at least a good chunk of it. Yeah. And I I think the Leafs would be, uh, they would be doing themselves a nice favor to uh, protect Ely Samsonov as much as they can before the end of this regular season. Because, yeah, you can't have him go down. Uh, before that first round series against the Tampa Bay Lightning. By so, the way, what? Go ahead. I wanted to add in one more thing just to put a bow on the Mary discussion. Yep. I was really intrigued by the the sort of line from Sheldon Keefe of he's dealing with a head injury and quote other stuff. Yeah. That to me signaled you're not going to see this guy anytime soon. No, so he's done. Yeah, he's been dealing with a lot of other stuff. There's been stuff. There's been ankle stuff. There's been, yeah, seemingly a, a lot of stuff surrounding Matt Murray. So I, I think he's out of sight, out of mind for, for most Leaf fans. Um, On top of all the letting goals go in stuff. Yeah, there's been that stuff as well. Uh, Michael Bunting. And the confidence stuff. <laughs> yes. Michael Bunting's been dealing with a lot of stuff uh, from the officials. Oh, and uh, some some positive stuff on the internets, of course, is 
He is uh, your top-ranked uh, pending free agent in the National Hockey League, which we <laughs> talked about last week. But the the, the officiating stuff is, is certainly it's it's in stark contrast to the way he he was racking up power plays for the Maple Leafs a season ago. And Sheldon Keith talked about Kyle Dubas maybe going to the the NHL offices and saying, "Hey, give my guy a break here." Um, what is the history of that happening, and do you think it will have an impact? Do I think, in realistic terms, it has an impact on? getting calls or, or benefit of the doubt. No. Um, I, I think the Leafs would be best served. And this, this is for Sheldon Keith too. And some of the outbursts that we've seen on the bench, just, just let it happen. Like try to control what you can control and leave the rest of that stuff aside. Because if, if it does come down to that and, you know, there's been some great stories written in recent weeks. Cam Sharon had a great one in The Athletic, former Leafs front office member, about, you know, the playoffs and officiating and how it works and the numbers. It's incredible to look at it on a graph of how penalty opportunities and power play opportunities go down in such a big way when you get to a game seven. If it ever were to come down to that and, and that would be one of the deciding factors, that's a big thing that you want to make sure that the Leafs just at least are on level ground and a level playing field is that they're not being shaded in the wrong direction because of their attitude and because of how things have played out during the regular season. Well, that you know, the the fact that power play opportunities go down as the postseason progresses is is not a surprise, but uh, maybe it doesn't bode, uh, bode all that well for the Oilers because they've done so much of their great work on the power play, specifically Leon Drysaddle. 30 power play goals. I mean, you, you pointed out one of the 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 most, I mean, underappreciated, un, underknown um, single season. Forgotten. Yeah, forgotten records in NHL history. Tim Kerr with the single season power play goals mark of 34 right in the, the middle of, of Wayne Gretzky's career, 85-86. Wayne only had 20. That was his max in, in a season. Like, if if Leon Dreisaitl is able to set that mark now, we're running out of games here. But that power play is so so damn good. I mean that that's a that's a huge huge steel story. Uh, yeah, I would I would give you two pretty bold statements. One, this Oilers power play is the best in NHL history, and they have the numbers to back it up. But two, Dreisaitl's power play season is the most impressive by any one individual ever in NHL history. When you do the math and crunch the numbers and adjust it based on the 80 additional opportunities that Tim Kerr and the Flyers had during that 1985-86 season, you know, he's accounting for 11% of the Oilers' power play goals. Tim Kerr was eight. Mm. So there's the numbers to back it up. And, and here's the easiest way to explain it. Tim Kerr scored 34 power play goals in 85-86 to set the record 34 of any kind in any NHL season is an impressive total, but to get 30 as Dreisaitl has on the power play already with, you know, a number of games to play, the record is in sight, and the fact that that's even a discussion point is crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. Uh, Not so stuff. Frank, uh, we appreciate you taking the time today. Go uh, enjoy a baseball game and, and don't mess up the scoring. Yeah, and we'll see what I can do for the Phillies, too. Yeah, all right, we'll see. Best of luck. See you, Frank. See you guys. Uh, Frank Sarvelli, president of hockey content for dailyfaceoff.com. Yeah, your boy, uh, Jet Greaves, he is kind of lamb to the slaughter type stuff because I hope he does well. Like, be a great story, guy making his NHL debut, right? Like, this is it. This is not a season debut. 
on a Blue Jackets debut. This is his NHL debut. And a, a local kid from Cambridge. And he's a, he just turned 22. Like, this is very young for a yeah, goalie. Yeah, well, his birthday was like the other day or yeah. something. Yeah, okay. March 30th. Okay. We had a big party in Cambridge. <laughs> we had it at, at, the, at the forum. We did the roller rink, you know. <laughs> it is tough, though. He uh, has not been good with Cleveland of the AHL. It reminds me of a certain Garrett Sparks start at the end of a season that the Maple Leafs were trying to ensure their lottery positioning actually it was against this very Columbus Blue Jackets team, if memory serves, that this is this is must-lose territory for the Columbus Blue Jackets, who are right there. Like, the bottom team, the 32nd team in the NHL, it's a pretty outlandish shot at Connor Bedard, 25%. They're only two points off the pace set by the Blackhawks, who have lost eight in a row, which is, it's listen, that, that's elite-level tanking, but, yeah, a step in the right direction would be losing to a team that is obviously far superior to you tonight. Yes. Now, Garrett Sparks acquitted himself, you know, okay. He survived. He had an 895 okay. over those couple of games that, uh, that he was asked to uh, basically let goals in for yeah. uh, there. But, yeah, it, it's a huge swing factor. Like, you, if you can get to the bottom – from where Columbus is now, you more than double your chances of getting Connor Bedard. And and this is partly highlights that the NHL's lottery system is still not nearly as smooth as baseball and, and basketball have gotten, despite Gary Bettman just like straight up lying about it at times and mm-hmm. saying it's it's not imbalanced compared to other sports. Uh, yeah, no other sport gives you no, no other. Well, football gives you 100 percent shot yeah. at it, I guess. There's no lottery, but twenty five point five percent and more importantly than the, just the 25.5% is the enormous drop-off from number one to number two when you finish dead last. It, it's kind of ridiculous. And, yeah, so if you're Columbus catching even Anaheim yeah. and a 2% extra shot at Connor Bedard is well worth it. But if you can get Chicago, that's a like yeah. 10, 10 extra percentage points, 14 extra percentage points. That is a dramatic change in the – future of your like the expected value for the rest of your franchise for the next like two decades yeah so like jet graves well i'm already it's going to be a highlight of his life but like the greatest moment of his life coming up with the shutout against the toronto maple leafs will be viewed in columbus quite differently than he, will be a bill- <laughs> he will be the benuzo of oh. the columbus blue jacks benuzo triple double last game of the season drops the raptors from the spot where they potentially could have had damian lillard to the terrence ross spot although Here's something for Blue Jackets fans. Mm. Raptors draft Damian Lillard in that spot. They don't trade for Kyle Lowry. And oh. then who knows if you end up winning a championship. Although the pick that became Kyle Lowry <laughs> okay. could have been used on Giannis. Oh. 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 So now we're going to do Giannis <laughs> ah, and Dame ah. as a pairing win. So I don't oh, know. That's no, a good. Uh, no okay. pressure, Jack Reeves. All right. Would you. Hey, listen. Play it out. You get your memory wiped with one of those uh, men in black sticks. Would you rather accept uh, the way it played out with the the Raptors winning the 2019 title, or would you play it back with Giannis and Tentacumpo? Uh, give me the bird in hand. I'll take the one championship no matter what. Um, and it would have been like, obviously we're playing a ton of what ifs there, but yeah, it's uh, it is funny though. You could like, if you get Dame, you definitely mm-hmm. don't trade a lottery pick for Lowry. Yeah. And then that lottery pick, I mean, technically it became Steven Adams, but Giannis Antetokounmpo went three picks later, and we know... Oh, Masa- we sure do. We know Masai Ujiri was yes, we aggressively do. trying to, to get in the mix there. But if you get Damian Lillard, is Masai even the general manager of the Toronto Raptors at that point? Does the, uh, does the future look different? Yeah, this is... Uh, uh, <laughs> you ever seen the movie Butterfly Effect? No, where, nobody uh, did. 
Yeah, where so the guy Ashton from, Kutcher yeah. uh, keeps having nosebleeds. That's why. No. Because if you start, it's not. it has nothing to do with the, the <laughs> timeline jumping. It's entirely if you think about these things too much, you start to have a nosebleed. Uh, so, Jack Greaves, no pressure because no matter. Tell you what. If you have an amazing start and it costs Columbus extra percentage points of Connor Bedard, I'll sit here in 15 years and tell Columbus Blue Jackets fans why it worked out because, you know, this happened and then this sure. happened and this wouldn't have happened. spin a narrative. Um, also, if you play poorly tonight and it helps the Blue Jackets get Connor Bedard, I will sit here for the next 20 years and tell you about how the Columbus Blue Jackets owe all of their Stanley Cup rings to Jack Reeves. How, and however, the Cup should come through Cambridge, Ontario. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, however it goes tonight, great moment for Jet Reeves. So uh, best of luck to you, fella. Um, now that we're talking about the Raptors in the NBA uh, Raptors are one of the three Toronto teams that are playing tonight. They got the Charlotte Hornets again, because why not? Um, before wrapping up with a couple of games against the Celtics and then one game against the Bucks. So they need to pass the Atlanta Hawks outright because they do not own the tiebreaker with them. The Hawks are in Chicago tonight. The Celtics are playing the Sixers and the two seed is, is up for grabs unless the Celtics mm. win tonight, right? So it's three games with four to play. I mean, if you cut it to two, I mean... I'm, I'll tell you right now that the way NBA teams at those spots in the standings uh, evaluate these things and teams the level of Boston and Philadelphia, the the way they see the value of potential home court advantage in game seven in the second round, uh, they are not sweating it all that much. They, yeah, I so would they don't be, care? So, I, so I mean, we're, we're, we're going to see layup games prefer, from, from the Celtics in those two games? They would Because, like, to, game 82 against the Bucs is definitely... Like they're laying down. Yeah. And, and there's an element of you don't want to shut your whole team down a week before the playoffs. And then there's also the play in tournament where you're sitting down. The play in tournament also has the additional benefit for top seeds of you. You get a couple of days of rest in there. So maybe it's not as immediate. There are obviously guys playing for things like all NBA and different things like that. Um, but no, I don't think you'll see the Boston Celtics put their absolute best foot forward in those games. They'll probably start. Uh, new Boston Celtic Justin Champagne for a 20 offensive rebound revenge <laughs> game in one of them. Um, the Bucks, yeah, Giannis or Brooke Lopez or Drew Holiday, some of those guys are going to sit in that final one. Um, the only thing Raptors fans can really worry about right now is where the Raptors fall 8, 9, 10. Mm-hmm. And that makes the Hawks-Bulls game tonight very important because yep. not only does the outcome of that game determined the three-team tiebreaker if all three of those teams tie. Um, and if Chicago were to win that game, by the way, the three-team tiebreaker actually becomes fairly likely. Uh, Atlanta has a cake schedule after this one. So if Atlanta were to win the night, the Raptors probably have to win out, at least go three and one uh, to get that eight seed. Now, for anyone who doesn't remember with the play-in tournament, uh, the eight seed locks you into, you get two chances to make the playoffs. So seven seed hosts the eight seed, nine seed hosts the 10 seed. The winner of 9-10 plays the loser of 7-8 for the final spot. Mm-hmm. So you would prefer to be 8 because then you get two kicks at it, including the second one being at home. Uh, and you would certainly prefer 9-10 to 10 because at least then you get to host the one and done. Um, the worst case scenario is, of course, falling to 10th. The Raptors have what should be a freebie tonight. They're something like 15-point favorites or something like that. Um, but you are slightly hoping for, if your goal is to get the eight seed or whatever, uh, your preference is slightly for the Bulls to beat the Hawks tonight. That's your big out-of-town scoreboard watching for tonight. I, I do wonder, though, if, you know, how the franchise would feel about it, how the, how ownership would feel about it, getting the home game in, mm. in the play-in the tournament. If you get out of the play-in tournament, you get yeah. at least two playoff home games. And even, if, yeah, and if you're in that top bracket and you lose it, you still get the home game in the second play-in yes. tournament game. So, yeah. yes, you there are very... The only reason you would prefer nine to eight 
is if you are doing your drive time radio program <laughs> from the Toronto Blue Jays home opener on ah. Tuesday when the 7-8 playing games would take place. The 9-10 playing games, however, take place on the Wednesday, so you could be on your couch and juggle them a little easier. Um, and hey, there are some baseball fans on that on that Raptors scene. Maybe they'd prefer to uh, yeah. take in the opener um, and then uh, host the game on Wednesday. No question. Uh, speaking of questions, uh, OG, questionable. Oh, he is playing. Yeah, we got the uh, we got the update. OG and Precious are going to play despite questionable tags. Will Barton's back. Uh, Gary Trent Jr. Game time call, but he is doubtful and he is not listed in the starting lineup. All right, so which o- is not surprising. OG is going to play his sixty fifth game of the season tonight, which obviously that that number is now uh, one that you have to know about because the new CBA well, stipulates, starting next year. Yes, yeah. is starting next year. The new CBA stipulates that that's the magic number of games you need to play to be eligible for awards and all NBA status. Um, but this is a guy who's had a couple of years. I mean, his whole career has been, you know, one of the big question marks has, has been health. Like, can we, and he's been in and out of the lineup this season, but, you know, I mean, look at, at the number of games that all the best players in the NBA play, in, including the guy that's going to win defensive player of the year and Jaron Jackson Jr. It's, it's right around this. Like, can we put it behind us now that OG Ananobi can't get through a full season without, you know, getting banged up again he's been banged up but not to the degree he has been the last two years he's always a tough one because when he is available he's such a workhorse right like he averages 36 minutes a game for the second season in a row despite only playing 64 games so far he's top 45 in minutes played yeah in total minutes like jaron jackson is going to probably win the head coach likes to play the the starters we know yeah and (laughs) like here's the thing and here's where i i don't really care that much about the games played minimum but the one issue that i do have with it is right now Jaron Jackson Jr. would have a, an edge on OG Ananobi in the balloting. Um, now, Jaron Jackson Jr. is not going to get the 65 games either, but let's say he did get the 65 games and OG Ananobi didn't. OG's played 600 more minutes than him yeah. because he plays way more minutes each game. Mm. So it's a question of do you help your team win in more individual games or do you help your team win more in the games that you do play? Um, anyway, you're doing a is, lot of brain melting. I'm not. It's minutes versus games. No, I'm with you. Would you rather have a guy 28 minutes every game or 38 minutes for the games you have them? No, we're using a bunch. Yeah, that's it. We're using the wrong metric to, to, yeah. I don't feel that strongly about it. I just think if we're going to do a minimum, it should be based on how much you actually played, not how many individual games you you suited up for. Now, I know that that disproportionately hurts, say, a a Giannis who plays like four minutes a game because in those four minutes, the Bucs win by 30. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, OG, I don't know. He, he's not going to shed the injury-prone tag until there is a, a games played total with a seven at the front of it on his Nobody on his plays 70 court. games. No, none of the stars the do. Nobody plays like 2,300 minutes. Like He's <laughs> yeah. going to be one of 45, maybe 50 guys that get to 2,300, 2,400 minutes this year. Um, and, and that's a thing that is difficult to, like sore through what do you prefer a guy who's there every game or, or a guy who could be a workhorse by the way scotty barnes uh 12th in total minutes played uh pascal siakam 14th fred van Vliet yeah. 20th yeah. og ananobi 43rd <laughs> this despite all of four of those guys uh missing at least a little bit of time injured oh yeah nick nurse is uh gonna play those guys before he uh waves goodbye the houston rockets uh Here's Western- the thing. at least you don't have to change your rotation for the playing <laughs> games because you yeah. already play a playoff rotation that's right uh speaking of playoffs the it, 
here are the 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 games to be on the lookout tonight in the Western Conference insanity. Oh, State, let's go. Yeah, uh, Warriors hosting the Thunder in the marquee affair. Lakers Clippers is tomorrow, which is going to be a banger. But you need the Lakers to win in Utah uh, against uh, a Jazz team that is six games under five hundred. Uh, Kings are home and cooled out as far as you know having a, a season above five hundred, being in the playoffs. Pelicans apparently want to get Zion into regular season games before. The play-in That'd tournament, if if they can. Uh, I don't think that's tonight. But, uh, yeah, that tomorrow Lakers-Clippers thing is going to be spectacular. And you're going to see LeBron and you're going to see Anthony Davis playing back-to-back games. You would think, like, ideally for them, they get out to a big lead and can rest those guys down the stretch in tonight's game. But, yeah, no, th- those guys are playing in back-to-back and, games. And they're in a fascinating situation because, like, uh, they are far enough ahead of Dallas and Utah now that the, the Lakers have not clinched at least the play they're birth, looking to get but out. They have basically, so this is where I'm going is they have basically locked in that they'll at least make the plan. So you go into this game, this back-to-back situation and it's risky to play guys back-to-back. Sometimes I think it's a little overstated. Um, these guys know, especially Anthony Davis and LeBron who have missed a lot of time in recent years. Like they know, they know how to listen to their bodies. Um, there is a trade-off though, right? Of, you play in that back-to-back, but if you are successful in that back-to-back, you get the three or four days off mm-hmm. when the play-in tournament is going on. For sure. That's a huge component. It's not just that you get the 16 and you don't have to play the play-in. It's, it's the rest that is built into the schedule heading into that first round. If you're LeBron, I don't know. I think I'm tempted to, to suck it up and play the back-to-back because if you can win those games, then you've got three, four, five days off before you have to get ready for the playoffs uh so the mavericks hoping very much for a warriors win tonight but they don't own the tiebreaker in any scenario with the thunder so they have to outright beat them they are back in action tomorrow at home against sacramento then they go chicago san antonio to to wrap up the season apparently luka Doncic will not be shut down if they are mathematically still alive which you would expect also apparently according to uh, Chris Haynes, that they're going to attempt to re-sign Kyrie Irving, who's going to hit free agency. Sure. Okay. Mm. Do do your thing, Dallas. Do your thing, <laughs> Kyrie Irving. I, uh, I'm just observing. I have no opinion <laughs> well, if you on were... <laughs> Kyrie Irving re-signing for a max contract with the non-playoff Dallas Mavericks. Um, just whatever happens with this, I pray to the basketball gods, do not reward all of this nonsense and incompetence with lottery fortune when the Mavericks miss the Dude, playoffs. Dude, that's it. I they, mean, that's that was the scariest scenario that they do the weirdo thing, like even only being one back. And yeah, man, the idea that the Thunder could lose a couple of games and you could win out and get into, like that you would shut down uh, Luka and Kyrie so that you could stay in the 10th the, the spot for lottery odds because your pick is top 10 protected because of the Porzingis trade, acquiring him from, from the Knicks is, yeah, that would have been bad juju, I think. Yeah, and if it does happen, and like if they're trying to win and they still fall out, don't reward that. <laughs> I, I know that sometimes we want to reward a team like the, the Orlando Magic, for example, have cost themselves a couple of draft slots with their recent play. They have jumped past... The Pacers, they've jumped past the Blazers. Those are not things you would on paper want the Orlando Magic to do. But I feel like the gods and the lottery ping pong ball karma people should at least appreciate that this is a young team that hasn't just shut all their young developing players down. And they're like, you know what? We need to let these guys play some basketball and learn. If we win too many games, we win too many games. That, to me, is a team that, if such things exist, should be smiled upon on ping pong day. Um, Whereas the... 
Dallas Mavericks absolutely should not. I, I do have like a bit of a soft spot for Utah and Indiana and all this as well, yeah. because they did the at least smart thing of we're going to try and we're going to be solid. And then like once it hits the right time of year, mm-hmm. we will gently back away. <laughs> they did not do the Charlotte, Detroit, San Antonio, Houston thing where there has just not been watchable basketball the no. entire season. So that's that's how I'd rank it on pure ethical. Oh, d- yeah, if we're doing an stuff. ethical lottery, <laughs> yeah. uh, the Orlando Magic at the top. There should the be Pacers, a voting. The there Pacers be- and the Jazz after that. Um, and then Dallas at the absolute bottom. Dude, okay, you know what? You, you just... You hit the nail on the head with the ethical uh, draft lottery thing because, you know, multiple people across multiple different leagues have tried to come up with the what draft wheel where you get a first round pick every 10 years or or first overall pick every 10 years and and you just make everybody free agent. That's it. You got to have a a cabal of people that that are obviously not invested in the teams, but look at everybody's ethical case to draft wherever they should, and then they put everybody in their the right spots, and then we can debate it afterwards. By the way, did you you obviously saw Wemby put back his yeah. own rebound on the missed three? So I know that there have been a lot of ways to describe what happened there, but the best I can is so the first time the NBA ever tried to put or EA Sports, I guess, tried to put the dunk contest in a video game. Mm-hmm. There were, as you would expect, a bajillion glitches. There was there was incredible stuff you could do that you could never in a bajillion <laughs> years do with a human body. Um, but he, like that play, he's falling backwards because yeah. it's like a it's step a fade back, yeah. fadeaway three. Yeah. And then he's able to get his own rebound still <laughs> unencumbered by anyone around. Like that was something that even those early versions of dunk contest video games where you could throw it between Not your legs, realistic. off the jumbotron, <laughs> yeah. catch it and do a three. Like even that, they would be like, come on, come on. Yeah. You made your guy seven foot four and you gave him that handle and no, we're not letting you also do that. Honestly, the only thing that's the, the craziest part about it, honestly, is just that he missed the three because I don't expect to ever see any of his highlights have him miss. No, it's true. I mean, I saw kind of a similar thing in batting practice here as we're watching oh, the Blue flat. Jays. Did you see it? Because I, I, no, I was not. Eye I saw contact. you guys react to it, though. Yeah. So Vlad took a cut and, and banged the ball off the, the side of the cage. It bounced up in the air, and then he smoked it for what looked like a home run. Like It was like a double hit. Home run oh, in batting practice. It was like a, a batting practice plus monkey hit. <laughs> yeah. Is that what it's called, monkey hit? When you throw it up to yourself and hit it? Uh, That's I what we always called I it. I called it self-pitch. Okay. okay. Yeah. All right. Um, speaking of the Blue Jays, we'll get you set for game two of four in Kansas City tonight. Also, maybe have a look around uh, how some former Blue Jays are doing in Major League Baseball. That's next. The fan drive time continues. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Fan drive time, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Blue Jays, Royals. Mm, about an hour away from first pitch at Coffin Stadium in Kansas City. Yusei Kikuchi making his season debut. Last time Yusei Kikuchi was at Coffin Stadium was June 8th of last season. Like to, I, I mentioned this to, to Joe that I recalled him making a start in Kaufman a season ago. Do you remember what happened? I have the box score in front of me. I have the play-by-play. 
I'll, I'll tell you it didn't go well, which you could have guessed because you say Kikuchi's season didn't go so well. Yeah, and the way you set it up. I wasn't going to guess that I missed the Yusei Kikuchi perfect game or something like that. Well, I will say that bottom of the first started with Whit Merrifield making one of two outs that, that Yusei Kikuchi recorded in the baseball game. He struck out. So did Salvador Perez. But that was sandwiched around walk, walk, double, walk, single, walk. And then in came Trent Thornton to... Uh, to shut her down from there, uh, three nothing Royals. After one inning, the Blue Jays would go on to lose the baseball game, eight to four. You say hoping for better luck this go around, but yeah, that that was uh, not so great. Your boy uh, Wit hitting sixth tonight and playing right field, by the way. Yes, so didn't get into the game yesterday. His first uh, game in his old ballpark, his old uh, home ballpark in Kansas City. I don't recall seeing like a video tribute for him either. I wonder if that happens today because he is in the lineup. And I know that like the conversation, you know, Arden Welling reporting that during that game, he really lobbied hard to be in that game yesterday. But John Schneider hmm. letting him know that, hey, you're going to be starting a bunch here coming up. You're going to play a, like at least the last three games of this series. And we're going to need you a bunch in in anaheim against the angels with some lefty starters there as well so that you know what we're going to give you a breather in game one of this four game set also tells us uh i mean something you would assume anyway but it's nice to hear it laid out this way especially when you look at you know Vlad getting a dh day yesterday springer getting a dh day today them telling whit merrifield you're down today but we're going to need you a lot in the coming game it it certainly strikes me that this first 10 game stretch uh they had you know, a, a good idea of what the lineups would look like day to day. Um, certainly righty lefty stuff as opponents tweak their pitching rotations can change things a little bit, but you had a pretty good idea um, coming out of opening day, how these series would line up. So it's nice to know that there's a, a plan like that. Um, it, it kind of scratches any of our curiosities about these early playing time swings. It's like, okay, maybe we need to hit pause and look at it at the end of the angel series and see what the playing time distribution has been like then. Uh, however, John Schneider talked today that, yeah, they're rotating these spots around, but he sounded really open to uh, what was the quote? This is from Keegan Matheson of MLB.com. John Schneider expects the second base position to keep rotating and then quote, but at the same time, you can't ignore performance. That to me says this is someone who's going to rotate the spots around until someone runs with it. So Whit Merrifield, uh, your move. Yeah, absolutely. And this is, uh, we've talked about it before, but beginning of the season last year was a straight platoon at second base between Santiago Espinal and, and Kevin Biggio until it wasn't. Uh, speaking of Santiago Espinal, I had a great write-up by Shai Davidi on Sportsnet.ca that this is a guy who feels like he's figured it out and he figured out what went wrong in the second half of last season after being an all-star. Um, but yeah, it was, playing time is going to be tough for him to come by on occasion, but he's in the lineup today. Also, someone who knows how to deal with that. Like you just yeah. said, he was in that spot last year and ran with it. There are going to be enough opportunities as you face left-handed hitters and or left-handed pitchers rather. And as the team works to make sure that uh, workloads for Springer and belt and uh, some of the other guys are not too extreme over these long stretches. Well, and I think already we've seen John Schneider go with a hot hand because I know Dalton Varsho is a left-hander, uh, but he was, he got a start against Jordan Montgomery uh, as the cleanup hitter on Sunday and against another lefty in Bubich, he's hitting fifth with Matt Chapman, who is hitting a super hot stick right now, hitting in the in the four hole. I think that's clearly, hey, a guy that's going right, let's put him in the middle of this this action and a, 
behind two guys that have gotten on base routinely in these first four games. He's also a guy who probably more than anyone else last year moved around the batting order pretty freely. I, I know there was the stat at one point that he was, um, you know, the best seven, like best bottom third of the order hitter in baseball. Mm-hmm. And the samples get small because if anyone hits as well as Matt Chapman was for good stretches of last year, they no longer hit in the bottom third of the order. Right. Uh, but the Jays had a pretty good lineup. So he's, I, I think he's pretty used to bouncing around like this. And I, I think they, I think that should be the top five in some order, at least until one of Alejandro Kirk or Danny Jansen start showing a little bit more. I don't know about like Varsho four is fine uh, against righties and you could have Chapman in the five spot there, but I, I kind of want to see proof of concept from Brandon belt before he's maybe hitting six again. Yeah. Um, not a guy that was limited for any injury or off the field reasons during spring training, but apparently just didn't want to play in a bunch of spring games, went about his own business in whatever way he thought would best prepare him for the season. We'll see in the long haul, but yeah, early on, not looking great for uh, Brandon Belt. Uh, by the way, Chris Bubich was not good a season ago, worse than even Jose Barrios, especially with the fastball. Like uh, He was one of the rare human beings who threw fastballs that got abused more than Jose Barrios did in, in 2022, had an ERA of 5.58 a season ago, uh, left-handed pitcher, which, yeah, this Blue Jays team should do damage against, yeah. but yeah, they should have also shut down a team that was shut out twice in the first three games. Yeah, a lefty yesterday. that throws ninety-two and throws half of his pitches as fastballs. Um, yeah, I don't. You can have all the extension off the mound in the world that you would like. Uh, that's going to be someone you should tee off on. Uh, yeah, hitters hit three forty-eight against his fastball last year. That's high. That's a, that's a very good batting average. Uh, again, like in the Jose Barrios realm. So, yeah, Spozda's are are worth nothing once you get on the field. But that being said, the Rays are doing what they're supposed to do through four games this season. They are 4-0. They got they got the Tigers. They're currently playing a series against the Nationals. Then they got the A's and they got the Red Sox before they arrive in Toronto on uh, Friday, April 14th. Like, that is a team, I mean... Didn't we mention it in our season preview that this is a team that's routinely just like forgotten about or not mentioned in the same breath as obviously the Yankees who are defending division champions, but even the Blue Jays with their sexy offseason moves. A team is always going to be able to pitch the baseball. And again, you got to take it with a grain of salt because they're playing tomato cans right now and the Blue Jays will get the benefit of playing the Detroit Tigers. Uh, the Jays are playing a tomato can right now. Correct. and They got embarrassed by it, Laza. They are covered in sauce. <laughs> the tomato can fought back in extreme fashion yesterday. No, the, the, that that's impressive. The Rays look really, really good. It's early days. The Yankees offensively look really, really good against poor Frank Cervelli's uh, tough-looking Philadelphia Phillies. I wanted to have a look at a couple of Blue Jays or former Blue Jays currently with uh, other clubs. I haven't, I don't have the box score open uh, for the game right now because the Diamondbacks are in San Diego to play the Padres. But uh, before this game, obviously two pretty significant pieces of the Blue Jays puzzle that were moved in the offseason are now Arizona Diamondbacks. And going into this game, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. had a couple of hits. He, had, he was five for 20, no extra base hits. So it seems like he's kind of continuing where he left off at the end of last year, which was like issuing the home run power for some single stuff, which is okay. It's, who doesn't love a good single? He hit one far enough to get a sack fly today. So oh, for, for four with a sack fly. They're up uh, eight, five. They just uh, put a, a big number up on San Diego to go ahead in that one. That's cool. Uh, Gabriel Moreno, what's he, is he in the lineup today? He is not. Okay. So he's two for 13. He does have an extra base hit because that was, you know, one of the question marks surrounding him was whether the power would arrive um, because it was kind of sparing uh, at the AAA level. He's got a double, two for 13. But 
You know, you talk about defensively. You talk about Alejandro Kirk. That's the king and, of the pop time, Gabriel uh, Moreno. He is. The metrics would indicate that he was going to be pretty good in this new environment where you have to throw the ball around a whole bunch. Well, he's 2-0 and as far as caught stealings. Nobody's caught. Uh, nobody's stolen a base against him, and two guys have tried. So that's that's pretty good. Yeah, they are a very fun team so far in terms of just net base running because Corbin Carroll's running all over everyone. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he looks good. I, I think I would like a Corbin Carroll. Yeah, me too. And they're they're going to finally face some right-handed pitchers here. I mentioned yesterday off the cuff that um, they're a lefty heavy lineup, and they had faced four lefties in their first five games. Uh, that's a team that I, I don't think they're going to be good, but I think they could be sneaky fun. Yeah, well, and and certainly if you're a Blue Jays fan, yeah, it's fun to watch some guys that used to wear the uniform. and Not so fun to watch Teoscar so far. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, one for 17, and the Mariners are similarly to the Blue Jays, except one worse. Uh, one in four to start the season. He's had, like, in, in the limited sample I've seen flipping over the Mariners game, because I'm interested in all these guys, and I'm flipping around um, when the Blue Jays aren't playing, and obviously the Mariners playing some late games. Been some defensive issues with Teoscar in right field for the Mariners as well. This is a huge year for him, obviously. A guy that went to arbitration, but now is a free agent at the conclusion of the season. First impressions with his new club. Like, yeah, that's a, that's a team that won a postseason series, won one fewer game than the Blue Jays during the regular season, and, and both teams are off to similarly disappointing starts. But, yeah, Teoscar's got to be feeling the heat after a start like that. One for 17, you're the middle-of-the-order bat. You're their big off-season acquisition. And as much as the one big blunder in right field, you can't all the way – like, it's nobody aims to hit the base runner with yeah. a throw, but it's it's funny. Yeah. Um, and there's just a – there's a lot of swing and miss under the hood in Teoscar's start. But I, I don't know. This is, uh, this is a guy who has – five pretty consistent years here I'm, I'm not too worried at all but yeah you're probably feeling it to a small degree so another guy the last guy i'm gonna bring out uh bring up that i i've been interested in his start this season is a guy that could have been a blue jay um and i guess i could have brought up michael conforto who i saw hit a home run the other day but i was thinking more cody bellinger i thought you were going ross stripling oh ross stripling got rocked in his first start yeah Rocked Stripling. Yeah, against the Yankees. But you know what? He's not going to have to play the Yankees a bunch. Cody Ballinger, enough with the left-handed hitting well, outfield slash DH type. Ben, unbelievable. Well, I just, I, I wondered if there was, you know, a real Cody Bellinger in there. The guy that won a National League MVP. I mean, he would lead the Blue Jays in home runs right now. <laughs> well, okay, so you've explained the one in the one for 15. Yeah. <laughs> so not a great start for him. Um, I don't know. Again, it's very early, but this is a, yeah, a start that if he were signed to, what was it, like a two-year, what, $60 million deal, something like that, a $40 million deal, that you would be certainly fretting if you were a Blue Jays fan, despite the fact that he's going to play good defense and capable in center field, but that this guy's been yeah, well below average offensive player the last couple of years, despite having a pedigree of being a former MVP. Here's a name I'm going to throw at you. This was, I believe, pre-Kiermaier and definitely pre-Belt. He was someone that I want. It was after Kiermaier pre-Belt. Someone in the Robbie Grossman mold, but mm. a higher-end Robbie Grossman. Leading the league in wins above replacement so far, Adam Duvall. Yes, well, one, one year, seven million. Righty, who plays all three outfield positions in a pinch, dude, hit a walk off home run already this season in the most dramatic game of yeah. the baseball season to date. And if you it, missed it, was on Saturday where the Orioles were one out away from winning the baseball game. 
uh, commit an error in left field on the 27th out, and then that allows Adam Duvall to hit a walk-off tour on home run. A, a cool 379 WRC plus so far. It's pretty um, good. Four games, obviously tiny, tiny samples, but if we're going to do the guys who... If not, could have been Blue Jays that at one point I wanted them to be Blue Jays. Uh, Adam Duvall would have been a good one. Um, just don't look at Robbie Grossman's page. Yeah, no, he's had a good start for yeah, the Rangers he's as well. Been, he's been fine too. I just, I think that one's probably going to come down to earth. I mean, he only got $2 million though, so it's, yeah. it's nothing. Yeah, well, They're going to need a, a guy who can hit right-handed at some point too. Yeah, okay, all right. Um, before we uh, get to last call... This has kind of seemingly been tampered down now that the White House, or at least Jill oh, Biden's press secretary, has, 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 has said, you know what, we look forward to seeing LSU at the White House. But uh, <laughs> Jill Biden uh, tweeted out that she would also like Iowa to, to show up, the losing team in the, the women's NCAA championship game to which everybody, like, the, there's almost nothing that can get a unified response on Twitter, but that did. Like, in, in my experience, that is like... I can't think of another thing that everybody was on the same wavelength as far as a sports take. Like the equivalent of it is, does Donald Trump get to be vice president then? Because he came second and it was a, it was a close race. I'm telling you, we wouldn't get unified response on that one. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, yes, unified response that that was a bad idea. If you want to, I don't know, I was going to say have the national players of the year there for a different thing. I guess you could do that. But the, on the men's side, the first Canadian ever to win the, the Naismith College Award, not the Naismith High School Award, mm. which is confusingly for the top high school basketball player in Canada. Yeah. And then the top coll- collegiate basketball player in America is also the Naismith. But yeah, Zach Eady uh, took it. So maybe you, you got to do, uh, where does Justin Trudeau live? Sussex Drive or whatever right. it is. Yeah. I don't know the address. But yeah. yeah. It's know. not, it's probably a White House, but we don't call it the White House. No, we don't. Uh, any thoughts on the national championship games? The Huskies become the first team since Indiana in 81 to win all its tournament games by 13 points. Mm-hmm. Uh, five championships now in, in the last 24 seasons. Puts them in a tie on the all time list with Duke and Indiana. Um, so I, I guess you, you have to consider them one of the elite programs of all time. There's been a, a number of lean years in there as well, but yeah, when, the, when they win, they win big. They've also never lost in an NCAA championship game. Yeah. I think, uh, it was not the most compelling of ends to the tournament. That's not UConn's fault. Um, they were a team that clicked at the absolute right time. Well, coach, good depth. Uh, I do think that UConn, this UConn team, and particularly next year's UConn team, because I'm sure one or two of these guys will try their hand at the NBA, but they also have, like, their top players are the types that are, like, second roundish to fringy-ish. Like, even mm-hmm. Adama Sinogo, like, someone will, someone will give him a look, but he's a guy who maybe could go back and try to run it back. And if not, they've got bench pieces ready to step into larger roles. Um, So where I'm going with that is I do think in the one and done era, something that is harder to do and harder to do effectively and sustain is, you know, the old kind of a college program running on a three-year or four-year cycle where you get the pieces and you're looking at, okay, we're going to take some lumps this year and then what could it grow to the next year? And then by year three, everyone's familiar with each other. We have a clear system, a clear 
pecking order and everything kind of clicks into place at the right moment. Um, those are, you know, if you go back through some of your favorite college teams over the years, I'm sure there are a lot of those. That's not to say the guys shouldn't go to the NBA, get your money and go play in the NBA. It's a, it's a lot of fun. And it's, uh, you know, I watch a lot more NBA basketball than college basketball, but I do have an appreciation when things come together at the right time for a program like UConn where, yeah, none of those guys were high end lottery picks. And because of that, they were able to maintain more of a, a long-term build uh, that could, again, go into next year. I, I'd imagine there will be not just because of the champions, but because they have some young pieces who are going to grow into bigger roles and, and better versions of themselves. Uh, they'll be among the top 10, at least probably top five, heading into next year, uh, especially if Adama Sonogo goes back. Yeah. Um, congratulations to them and and a dominant uh, performance throughout the course of the tournament. And we did have some buzzer beaters, some great moments, especially like in the Final Four. I get it, but it was like an underwhelming tournament. Yeah, especially the UConn games, right? Like yeah. the, you think this underseeded team going on this run would be amazing, but this is this is like a slight cost of all the top-seeded teams having been upset is that yeah. UConn on their way was the one like legacy or, or marquee team that was just like, okay, you're you're an underseeded team. We're going to take care of business here. Yep. No, and, and they did. They deserve a world of credit for that. They're a very well-coached team, all those San things. San Diego State shot was, like, like 20% in the first half or something. It was just stupid. Yeah, they're a really good defensive program, and uh, <laughs> sometimes you got to score. <laughs> and they were not well-equipped to do that. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, you certainly need to score at least one point. All right, time now for Last Call, brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Uh, this actually seems kind of light, and I, I like to dump on on the Maple Leafs' as favorites when they are favorites, but, boy, Columbus needs to lose. Leafs don't need to win, but they're fielding a, a representative hockey club. Uh, minus 400, the Leafs are against the Blue Jackets, plus 325 if uh, you believe in uh, Mr. Jet from Cambridge. Uh, anytime goals, Johnny Goudreau, plus 205. Austin Matthews, 182. Raptors, Hornets, how about this number? Like 14 and a half points are, are the Raptors, which, yeah, I don't know. That seems low as well. Uh, Raptors no, do need to win. Low. I mean, you very rarely get lines higher than that in, okay. in the NBA. All right. All right. There is garbage time. There's fake comebacks and all. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, Pascal- and we, we once again have a Thor on the floor. Yeah. All right. That's sweet. Uh, sweet. Uh, Pascal Siakam uh, with a point total of 24 and a half. Blue Jays and Royals, despite Yusei Kikuchi Making a season debut, Blue Jays are favorites, minus 167. The Royals, plus 148 with Mr. Chris Bubich on the mound. George Springer, plus 370 to hit a home run. Vlad Jr., plus 380. For some reason, that's uh, good odds, I suppose, for Vlad Jr. That was Last Call, brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Jays in the powder blues, by the way. Pitcher chooses. You said huge Ben Nicholson Smith just updating us that the Jays will be in those powder blues today. All right. So maybe that'll change the fortunes for a team that's uh, been off to a slow start, to say the least. All right. We'll be back tomorrow. Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Enjoy the game, everybody.